0: Hello and welcome to Politics on Draft with me, Kartik Sawney and...
1: Me, James Table. That feels very weird to be on the other
0: side of, but I like it, I like it. I know, it's fun, isn't it? Because because James is going to do the majority of the talking, he's done the brief this week, so I thought, you know, we'll switch it around. Usually I do the brief and then James does the intro, but that's what's happening. So James, what are you drinking today? I've got a ten around to actually say i'm drinking
1: uh M- muriel which sounds way worse than it actually is uh, okay it's a it's a, a, a rioca that i bought from the co-op um i promise you i promise you <laughs> <laughs> so, oh that sounds awful but um, yes yeah, so i'm drinking a rioca um and it's it's very nice it's two years old. but
0: the people that aren't wine connoisseurs rioca <laughs> is a red wine am i right
1: yeah it is a red wine
0: yeah okay fine uh i'm just having a beer maretti standard that's what i found at the tesco and it was three for five pounds so i got three big bottles yes james how's your day going today
1: uh my day is going fairly well I just had a lot of stuff to do, sort of uni wise, um, but obviously been keeping up with everything that's been going on today. And yeah, but how about yourself?
0: I'm running on two hours sleep. I ran into the foreign secretary today uh, after he was reappointed. So I've had a hell of a day, but I'm very, very tired. Yes.
1: Uh, so you obviously haven't been doing much, you know?
0: No, not really. Not, not really.
1: Um, we can unpack that <laughs> and i've just got it housekeeping um so so i'm gonna say that today we're recording on tuesday the 25th of october and at 8 40 in the evening that's that's how like specific i have to be in the current climate and i guess what i'm what i'm trying to say is that obviously you know we are very aware that when we uh, uploaded last week about six hours later less than that uh, Liz Trust resigned and it's going to be a week until you get this episode and um obviously you know we'd love to just be able to you know like do podcasts where and where but obviously we have so much other stuff going on and and it's only the two of us you know we brief we edit everything that we do ourselves and we just it's not within our capacity to do like sort of on the spot stuff um sort of on demand uh, but also we 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 when we when we made this podcast we wanted to kind of allow people to digest the news before we kind of i guess like recall it back so i guess that's just a bit, bit of housekeeping for me this will go out on friday the ooh, what date is that it's going to be friday the 28th so um, hopefully you have a bit of time to digest and then you can come back and review it with us um, so yeah but, uh, but without further ado uh, let's get into it um, I, I'm going to do exactly what I did uh, about six weeks ago which is Karthik we've got a new Prime Minister
0: <laughs> uh, we have got a new Prime Minister Yeah, um, and got... it's Rishi Sunak uh, the person who lost last time by by about 20,000 votes, won by approximately 160 MPs. This time the members didn't get to vote. It was, if you get above 100 nominations from MPs, then that is a valid ballot, which then goes to the membership and the membership then decide. So there were three contenders. Uh, who were the three contenders, James? So it was obviously Rishi. Um, i do want to also say
1: that rishi didn't actually publicly come out for a, and say come out <laughs> publicly uh come out to to nominate himself until quite, you know quite a few i think it was about on sunday actually. no i think
0: it was even monday morning that he officially officially said uh, so
1: the first the first person was uh, penny Mordaunt, who uh who came Matt and uh, announced that she was going with the PM for PM uh, thing again, and then the yeah. other one, which was frankly terrifying, was uh, was Boris Johnson. Uh, yes,
0: and he claimed he claimed he had one hundred and two backers, but he I didn't want that. to stand.
1: I don't believe it's, that. Yeah, I, it's yeah, it, I, it was
0: I, it was not true. I, I think
1: I think like like Penny, they he knew that he wasn't going to get the one hundred um, backers that he needed. And it was just a simple case of I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Um, so, yeah, so Rishi, so Rishi, so Rishi w- ran away with it. And he didn't even need to go to the, the Tory membership, which is obviously quite contested because, and, you know, uh, uh, what's her bloody name? Nadine Doris came out and said, if, if it doesn't go to the party membership, then you've got less of a mandate than if it was with. So instead of like, people moaning about oh only the members voted it's now only the MPs voted um no, this
0: is an interesting discussion because mm. there was there was something I don't know if you watched question time last week but it was quite interesting yeah, I did. the whole um MPs then membership mechanism it was outlined I think by uh, a panelist who's also an, a financial times journalist um no it wasn't it was someone else it was the chair of the so uh the CBI. yeah 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 who outlined it who outlined this he was he was telling us that this model that was designed to elect leaders of the Conservative Party was de- was designed to elect leaders of the opposition, not prime ministers. So obviously, we've seen a sort of weird hybrid system that Graham Brady came up with on Friday, out of nowhere, mm. um, and it was really weird and clearly. Uh some members wanted party democracy prioritized over national democracy. If they were truly prioritizing national democracy, then largely people the would have called mm-hmm. a general election. But I do think, and this might be unpopular amongst some people, that the the way that the MPs voted in Rishi Sunak was more democratic. Because the MPs have a mandate yeah. directly from the electorate, whereas membership, do- the membership does not have a mandate. They pay £25 and then they can pick who the Prime Minister is. And you don't even have to be a British citizen. It can be anyone. And that's quite scary from a foreign policy no, perspective. I, I, I agree profusely. And actually, I think there was a study done
1: that as soon as Liz trusted that she was resigning, there was an absolute. Influx, or no, it would have been a slightly before. There was an influx of people who joined the party. So that just shows you the kind of like level, like it's a you know, pay, it's a reward-based um, like I was about to say pay to win, but that's more to <laughs> do with gaming. Uh, it's a it's a pay to it's a pay to to vote system, and obviously I, I that obviously just doesn't work. And you know, that system produced the shortest and arguably one of the worst prime ministers that this country um, has ever had. So yeah. Um but,
0: they, but it's caused a lot of content. That's in the past now. I'm sorry mm. if I interrupted you, James. No, um, no, 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 no. If you had something to say, go ahead. No, but no. that's in the past now. We now have Rishi Sunak as our Prime Minister. And it's led to number one, today he reconfigured his cabinet. Uh I didn't so I don't know why I said reconfigured, he reshuffled his cabinet. Mm. Um and there's been a lot of debate about Well, I don't think there's been debate, but there's been discussion about the fact that he's the first Asian prime minister. Now, James, I can monologue about this for the rest of the episode. But why don't you give your perspective? Even though you are a white male, what do you think about that? What do you think that means about British political society and and diversity in British politics?
1: Now, this works well in conjunction with our parliamentary studies workshop that we me and both me, both me and Kartik had this um this Monday yeah. and that is he, he is the first BME um prime minister of Asian descent and regardless of the politics regardless what you feel you know this is a brilliant signal of how far we have become as a country to the point where the highest point in public office highest position in public office can be held by a non-white person and it was the same when a woman came in and what that does is it inspires people again regardless of the politics it tells people who are growing up young people that there is a place for you in public office and yeah I've you know that's that and that's and in my mind, that's absolutely brilliant. Then we can go back to the the, the politi- politics of it. But I want to ask you this, uh, Karthik, obviously Rishi Sunak is uh, Hindu and just want to say from the podcast, uh, happy uh, belated Diwali to everybody who was celebrating that. Um, Karthik, how, how do you feel about this appointment, both on a sort of personal but also a political level?
0: Well, James, I sort of have a problem with one thing you said.
1: You
0: hmm. said how far we have come as a country. Hmm. I don't think largely it has, even though you might say it has everything to do with the country. I think, in terms of diversity, Rishi Sunak becoming prime minister doesn't show how much it has to do with the country. It shows how much his constituency of Richmond and York has come. Uh, in terms of diversity and its attitudes towards having a BAME MP. It shows how far the Conservative Party has probably come to not taking Rishi Sunak's ethnicity into account. Uh, James Cleverley, uh, the Foreign Secretary, <laughs> did a... Um, sorry, I'm laughing. I, I, it's funny because me and James were talking about him earlier. Uh, James Cleverly, the Foreign Secretary, did an interview uh, yesterday after Rishi Sunak was... Not elected, appointed mm. uh, prime Cor- minister. Coronated, the... he was. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Appointed uh, prime minister by um, uh, conservative MPs, and he said, "Well, you know, the Conservatives are the party of meritocracy, and uh, and you know, yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter, and it's not the first thing on my mind whatsoever." Um, but in terms of how far we've come as a country, I don't think it shows that at, at all. It shows how far the Conservative Party, the party of Enoch Powell, uh, if you like, has come in terms of electing a South Asian leader of the Conservative Party, which subsequently became Prime Minister, uh, because he could command the confidence of the House. From a personal perspective, I think there's some distinctions to be made between descriptive representation and substantive representation. This is something we covered, but it's also a little bit personal. And I'll just read out a tweet that I wrote. And... Um, which where, 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 where I said, first non-white PM does not equal no institutional racism in the UK. Please remember that. The experiences of one individual do not mirror the experiences of a whole community. That, this doesn't mean that a brown person becoming PM isn't a win for the South Asian community. It absolutely is. The idea that my mother can no longer say that they won't let you be a politician because you're brown is a big deal. But we still have a mountain to climb. And it is true. My mum has said to me before, you know, how could you ever possibly become a prime, no prime minister, sorry. How could you ever possibly become uh, an MP when, you know, there's still a lot of racism in this country? So, yeah, absolutely.
1: And yeah. But, I, but I think also like there is a lot of racism. But I think the more figures that, you know, come into politics who are from a diverse range, and I'm not saying this is objective because obviously there are people like your Suella Brafman and your Pretty Patel who just don't seem to, uh, to care about that. The more accountable of a system you, you start to foster to the point where if you had someone, and I, I do firmly believe this, that if you had someone as radical as Enoch Powell in modern day parliamentary party, you know, party, that they would immediately lose the whip. They, you know, they I mean even further than you know, they due to the different laws and they, you know, they could be incriminated um for that. But you are right, we still have a mountain uh to climb. And I I, I completely appreciate what you say about how Rishi Sunak may not <laughs> really represent um, the BAME um, community too well. And I think that the big thing that came out, you know, today is obviously that his net worth is 730 million.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm just going to interrupt you though. I yeah, don't yeah. think it's his wealth that makes him not necessarily represent the South Asian community in that sense. No, no, I'm not. It's talking, I'm, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not necessarily his wealth, his wealth. And, is, is a whole different discussion of how much class plays into yeah, representation yeah. and how possibly out of touch he is. His wealth might make him might make him unable to represent the majority of the British public. If we yeah. if we go from that perspective, I, I, I,
1: I saw a thing today. Just sorry to interrupt. That said, that mm. apparently the average so the average wage in Britain is around about thirty thousand. It would take you twenty two thousand years on that salary. Prior to tax, to get the level of wealth that he
0: has, <laughs> which yeah. is
1: just u- utterly unfathomable, But go on, go on. Sorry, to interrupt. And the,
0: the the thing that, in my opinion, makes makes me feel like he doesn't really represent me as a brown man is the fact that his policies disproportionately impact South Asian and BAME people. Mm. So. This is just an example, and there are much deeper examples, but the fact that he's appointed Suella Braverman as Home Secretary, someone who is so ridiculously extreme on immigration policy and was sacked a week ago and is now Home Secretary again, who will disproportionately impact BME communities with her immigration policies, and the fact that she's been appointed by a Hindu, brown, South Asian Prime Minister... Makes me feel like he doesn't re- really represent the South Asian community.
1: Yeah, and I think what's what's really interesting, uh, and just actually quite disappointing from an operational perspective, is she she got sacked or resigned because she broke the ministerial code because she leaked um, sensitive information out. You know, he's also uh, he's also brought back Gavin Williamson, someone who broke the ministerial code and leaked uh, information about five G to Huawei and then subsequently came back as education secretary and fucked up every single, well, not every single, but the majority of 18-year-olds' uh, of, uh, uh, grades during
0: COVID. And Gavin Williamson was also the bloke when he was, I think, the defence, I think he was defence secretary, and he went to the former Yugoslavia and said, hmm, I wonder what it was like to be a part of the USSR.
1: And he said he said that Putin should shut up. Because that's going to do stuff, isn't it?
0: Shut up and go away. It, it, Sorry, this isn't really top-notch political <laughs> analysis. But, uh, but, he ha- but there have been a lot of familiar faces in Rishi Sunak's new cabinet. Mm. You've got Michael Gove back as levelling up secretary. Mm. Uh, you've got Dominic Raab back as justice secretary and deputy prime minister. Uh, and then, which was effectively a demotion, which he's now got again, even though it's a promotion, because that's how far down he went in his political career. You've got Swella Braverman back. Who else have you got? You've got Gavin Williamson back. Robert Jenrick. Robert back. Jenrick. What's he doing? What's, what's he uh, doing? He's back?
1: immigration minister. Someone who I, oh. I don't know his relation with. Uh, immigration and his starts and all of that but um but he was sacked as housing minister for offering out uh, planning permission to a uh, housing developing firm who then donated 12,000 pounds to the Tory party so it's that sort of institutional corruption that uh has been brought back into the cabinet which uh is uh yeah but i, f- I want to move on to what what might happen in the next couple of months? Because obviously, and I can't believe I'm talking in about ma- a matter of months, but that's obviously where we've where we've come in politics. And I'm trying to work out what's going to happen. He's got his first PMQs tomorrow on, on day one, technically.
0: Yeah, that's not going to be
1: that's not going to be easy. Uh, be easy. Um, I do think that Keir Starmer may find it a new a new challenge. I think he's still got you know quite good grounds to give him a good grilling mm-hmm. but i think he'll find him find it a little bit difficult in, in comparison to his uh the previous prime ministers because i think rishi is a very detailed man and he's very sort of meticulous about various different things and i think it might it just might prove a challenge i think that Kier can still be successful and i think also Kier can <laughs> Live quite confident in the knowledge that I think he probably will be (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. in government very, very soon. But, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see. But going further afield, I mean, Karthik, what do you think is going to sort of happen? Uh, will, Will we be in this situation again soon?
0: No, I don't think we're going to be announcing a new prime minister in a few months' time. I think out of all of the candidates, Rishi Sunak for the Conservative Party was one of the smarter choices. I think anything but Boris Johnson was a smart choice for conservative MPs. I think Penny Morden could have vaguely done the job. I think Rishi Sunak could have also vaguely done the job. Um, but what I think the next couple of months are going to look like is the things I would tell our listeners to get ready for is austerity 2.0, massive ripping up of right, human rights legislation and possibly some disturbance of peace in Northern Ireland. Um Mm. Yeah. What do you What do you think about the three things I said there? Austerity 2.0, definitely. Yeah. In-works legislation. This is something he's said before, uh, and he said in his earlier campaign of ripping up the EHRC and any Brexit, leg- uh, any European legislation that has an impact, and it's sort of a disturbance of peace in Northern Ireland. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to actually start
1: with the disturbance of peace in Northern Ireland, and I think that's very it's going to be very interesting because joe biden has had a absolutely massive uh, interest in that um as well and i don't i don't think america would let or i think they'd be very disturbed by that as as would the general populace in uh, in the uk um be as well but i think there's almost this kind of point of like if he takes like a neglect kind of stance to it, I think I'd be even I think I'd be even more furious because there seems to be this kind of neglect to kind of deal with uh, Northern Ireland. I'm saying that in a very patronising way and I don't mean to, but and I, th- I almost think that's as criminal as potentially turning our back on Northern Ireland. Um, because if you you know if you, if you are and I know not everybody is fond of the union. If you are fond of the union, you know you know that Northern Ireland makes is as important as, as England and, and Scotland in that union. And um, to turn our back on them, both in a neglect sense, but also in a policy sense, would be would be awful. With regards to uh austerity 2.0 i think we knew this was coming but
0: before month. we go on to austerity 2.0 i just want to yeah. outline something about northern ireland assembly it's said to be recalled ahead of friday's deadline so before this episode yeah, goes yeah. out um and friday 20th of october is the legal deadline for restoring power sharing basically at the moment there's no government in northern ireland at the moment yeah. if the deadline of friday 28th of october is missed, then another election will have to take place within the next twelve weeks. The Northern Ireland Secretary, irrespective of who the Northern Ireland Secretary is going to be or is,
1: um, yeah, I that is going to, to, to stay. Place. I know David Davis is back as Welsh Secretary, which is weird, but um, but <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. No, in, with austerity, two point, I think we knew that was going to happen. It, it's it's going to be very tough, and um, it's really hard because I, I just. You know, some somebody said there's about thirty four billion pound money sort of hole at the moment that needs to be made up, and I, I'm just I'm not in a position where I don't even know how how I how I deal with that. Um, I'm not sure austerity is the answer, but I just don't even know what um, what else can be done.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, and uh, then I and see,
0: and the- and and we've got a budget coming out on October 30th, I believe. Not October 30th, yeah. October thirty first, I believe, give, which Jeremy little Hunt little has been little. working on. That would give more clarity on uh, what kind of economic policies we're going with, with regards to with regards
1: to human human rights. I think it's 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 been so delayed because it was a part of the Conservative Party manifesto, um, and but obviously COVID and other different things got. In the way, I think what we do know are different things, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, what we do know is that there is going to be a winter of discontent um hundred percent uh you know we're, talking, we're going to talk about just stop oil but it it completely transcends them, you know union staff, you know we also heard that the uh today we heard that the um uh the u c u has uh has got a mandate. After
0: rightfully successful so successful rightfully after a successful
1: so. ballot that's just one thing you know we've got big strikes coming up with uh, on the railways again uh, after a successful balloting by the RNT um, and you know I was at Parliament um, on Monday yesterday and it's just, it's mm. just so much protest mm. so protest. Granted, it was Piers Corbyn and the anti-vaxxers. But... I don't
0: think that counts, James. Yeah, that yeah. does not count as valid protest. No, no, but, that just but, counts as a loony with a placard up there saying, today, you know, today, don't get vaccinated. That's not protest. But, but to, I hear your point that people are pissed off.
1: today. people during, are going to get more and more pissed During off. his inaugural speech, you heard I predict a riot by the Kaiser chief. So, you just like, it's it's this is going to happen. And I think that he's definitely got some uh got some got some challenges ahead and
0: uh it's not going to be a smooth ride for 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 sunak it's definitely not i do think that there might be an early general election there has to be um and but we can't predict it the next Mm. winter is going to be tough on a lot of people it's almost frightening, and it's tough to talk about what's going to happen to people. I'm worried. I'm scared. Um, mm. And I don't think Sunak is going to do that much about it, because yeah. at the end of the day, he is still a very, very right-wing Conservative Party Prime Minister. Yeah. He's not centrist at all in any sense.
1: But We'll have to see what happens in that respect. But I think um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll go on to. A break now, and after we'll talk about some other issues. Uh, for instance, the uh, the far right in America seems to be making a bit of a um, uprising, and uh, just stop oil as well. So join us back in a second. Okay, and we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, so we're going to talk about the uh, far right news that has happened. Uh, in America and has seemed to be sort of making main headlines. Uh, so the first bit of news is coming from uh, uh, Donald Trump, uh, not personally, I don't know him that personally, and I hope I never will. But um, uh, it comes from his court hearing, um, cast your mind back to January 2021, where there was a riot on the Capitol building as a result of the, as Donald Trump called it, the rigged uh, election in uh, November 2020. And, you know, it caused a big danger and the, the, the current court hearing is whether or not he um, incited it, whether he advocated for it. Um, and he's, he's been subpoenaed by Congress to provide an account of the January 2021 insurrection and to uh, talk about, you know, his involvement uh, with that. But the big, big news that came out last week was that Trump's former advisor Steve Bannon, uh, we spoke about him in episode two and his kind of um, his r- relationship with the uh, kind of alt-right and populist politics in America has been sentenced to four months in prison for contempting court on failing to provide testimony when required to relating to the Trump hearing on the Capitol riots. Now, this has a lot of political implications. You know, as we know, Trump is planning to run uh, for 2024 against Joe Biden he has to get nominated in the primaries first and become the uh gop candidate uh, as a republican candidate for those who don't know grand Ole party and all that stuff uh so my, my question to you karthik is uh w- what do you think this means for trump and his campaign
0: briefly i'm gonna actually call you out he's not planning uh to run officially he has not announced he's forgive me for the usage of the same, he's cock-teasing a little bit. He's saying, well, you know, I may have to do it again and and stuff like that. He's... What it means for him is obviously in any normal political context, it's, oh, you know, it's Trump, He's, he's ruined, and, you know, this is really, really bad for his politics. But of course, this is not normal politics. Trump is not a normal politician. We've said this before. What I think it might mean for the Trump campaign is that he might announce sooner... That he's running because it's going to get it's going to be much tougher for the Department of Justice to indict a potential presidential candidate. Sorry, not potential president, presidential president, yeah. candidate, an yeah. actual presidential candidate. It's going to be much tougher for them to do that. And it might, you know, flip the hearing completely on its back. And what specifically the Steve Bannon stuff means for Trump is that he doesn't have the person who's been doing his communicating and his line drawing for him almost. Steve Bannon was quite influential in the Trump campaign in 2016. I was about to say 2020, in 2016. And he arguably was quite influential in foreign policy matters, in the way that Trump decided to conduct himself in office. And what that means for Trump without Steve Bannon or whether... It's only four months and he's still going to be a key pivotal part of the Trump campaign. We don't know because Trump might try to keep him on. You never know. For Trump, it doesn't really matter that someone has been jailed for four months. It's not a big deal. These things that tend to affect most other politicians tend not to have the same impact on Trump. And he might try to use this to his advantage in the sense that, oh, look, you know, the the Department of Justice, the Socialist Department of Justice is trying to take me and my campaign down. So he might try to use this to an advantage. What it might mean is that he announces earlier. um, There are other candidates uh, in, in the running. Mike Pence. Uh, came out this week and said well you know Trump isn't necessarily the person well he didn't say Trump isn't necessarily the person Uh, when he said well you know I would rather prefer a different candidate sort of hinting at his own sort of potential um uh, uh, his own presidential campaign for people who don't know Mike Pence was uh Donald Trump's vice president um throughout his tenure and at one
1: point uh, advocated for shock therapy against gay people but that's just a side thing about mike pence um i it's, i don't it's, think
0: it's a side thing at all i think it's disgusting but yeah, yeah. It's
1: disgusting, but in terms of in terms of this uh, conversation i tr- this is a really weird one because obviously trump runs funny enough and this is a weird parallel a bit like vladimir putin on a thing called the court of public opinion effectively trump runs and trump advocates for all the people now whether you believe he actually does that is is another thing but uh, at least in his campaign he is what one calls a populist and his sort of in 2016 he talked about you know tackling liberal elites and and some and some of the liberal elites referred to are people in the department of justice now he largely reformed that by uh, nominating and appointing some conservative uh, Supreme Court justices, which caused the whole controversy with uh, abortion rights uh, just recently in 2022. Um, but what, what this means in terms of people is that people are going to get even angrier. And that's a problem. It's a problem in America because people are very angry about the relationship that they have with the establishment and how the establishment has effectively turned their backs. It's why Trump was so successful of mobilising the entire population in 2016. My only thing... So so one might argue that that's good for the Trump campaign. My only thing is I'm not sure because at this point he's associated with a now convicted criminal. So now obviously... The, the, the reasoning for him being that is that he was in contempt of court. It's you know, it's not as if he's he's, he's like you know a big drug drug lord or something like that. But so I just I I just, I just don't know how far that can get Trump. But I don't know, it's it's Trump, it's crazy, and you know the the very fact he was prime minister is so no prime so president is uh, is is crazy. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but hmm. it like I agree with you that it could. It could push him to to push his candidacy out further. But
0: I now know. I know you're not a uh, Republican Party expert, yeah. uh, but do you think that other than Trump, they have sort of the big formational personalities that can take out an incumbent president, um, not take out in a sense. you can't really say take out in an American political sense, but sort of go against a incumbent political candidate. And I know there's a nuance regarding Joe Biden, you know, his age, inflation, the way he's handled the economy, which has largely got got under control recently. But sort of the gaffes that that Joe Biden has does also have an impact upon the confidence that he holds uh, or doesn't from the American public. Do you think that there's a candidate in the Republican Party that is, quote unquote, charismatic enough? I mean, if you ask me if there's someone in the party who,
1: you know, might be able to make a a bit of a statement. I mean, one of those people could be Mike Pence, whether he's got the charisma, I don't really think so. The other person is uh, Mitch uh, McConnell, who's the minority leader in the House of Senate. Um, again, I, I actually think that he's been in the news recently for some controversy um, in with Alaska Republicans or something along those lines. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with the midterm elections uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that's going to be quite key in sort of aligning where america is with its politics at the moment um i think a bit a bit like us you know coming out of covid ukraine war at the moment everything's kind of a bit like you know we're only starting to now get the focus back to kind of domestic politics and you know it's kind of make or break in this situation so the midterms will be very good for that kind of wish we were having some elections at the moment but obviously that's not happening Happening. Um but no, I don't, I don't if you ask me if there's many charismatic, I don't think so. I as I said, I'm not I as you said, I'm not a Republican expert, but um but that you know there'll always be those emerging voices. And I said it when Trump was in power in 2016, you know, mm. no one ever precedes the party. Now maybe it's more likely. In America, because of the presidential system that they have, certainly not in uh, in the UK has been shown in the last few weeks. But you know, the party will outlive him, and the party will have to move on from him. Mm-hmm. So we will hopefully see some other voices. And you know, um, whether whatever their politics is, I, I'd rather see I'd rather see them than Trump, unless they're like a t- totally hardline. Fascist is waving up Nazi flags, but
0: Well well not- you do have Ron DeSantis in the Republican Party, but apparently he has ruled out running if Trump runs in twenty twenty-four. Mm-hmm. So that's that in my opinion would be in the front running candidate in the Republican Party. Uh, uh, um Trump's lawyer also says sort of he could either go full speed and
1: uh, what's his name? Is that Rudy Giuliani?
0: No, no, no. Rudy Giuliani was another uh, he was a former mayor of New York, but he was also Trump's personal attorney. Uh, till he was uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the target of a criminal investigation uh, yeah. in Georgia, I think. Um, no, this is a different uh, lawyer, um, Alina Haber. And she said, I'm reading out a quote here. I've sat across from him every time he gets frustra- frustrated. I say to him, Mr. President, if you would like me to resolve all your litigation, you should announce that you are not running for office and all of this will stop. That's what they want. And that's an interesting way To put it, because, again, it's this this insinuation that the crimes that Donald Trump allegedly committed will go away if suddenly he decides he doesn't want to be president again. And I don't think that's entirely true. I think they're less likely to go away in that sense because I think people just want to close the book on Donald Trump. Well, that's a form of that 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 will only happen. They they will only properly close the book once we know exactly what happened, what was going on in Trump's mind, and Trump's allies' minds in uh, November 2020. Hmm. Well, let's talk. Well, let's 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 move on to
1: to kind of the type of appeal he has and the type of people that his campaign largely follows. So we're going to talk about Alex Jones. You again, remember him from conversations we've had earlier in the series and uh, Alex Jones far right conspiracist who recently has been in court uh, over damages. He's caused the family of the Sandy hook massacre after he um, basically insinuated quite explicitly that, uh, that, it was all fake and it was a sort of money scheme and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's, he's been ordered by the judge to pay $965 million, so just shy of a billion. Uh, He obviously can't pay this. He had to, you know, I think he had to sell up InfoWars because it was, he was going bankrupt or something.
0: InfoWars itself is already bankrupt. He had pretty. And,
1: and, and, So obviously he can't pay it. And so he's actually seeking the payout to be thrown out on the grounds that it's a serious miscarriage of justice. Now, I'd like to say that, you know, just whatever will happen will happen to it. The the justice to the Sandy Hook uh, uh, families will, you know, be achieved for them. But Alex Jones is weirdly influential and has a hold of a lot of people in both the kind of elite world but also just sort of in the general populace and i do fear that it might see an insurgence in the alt-right movement Kartik, what do you make of this
0: i think largely alex jones i'm i'm I, i i hope i'm right i may be wrong but i think largely alex jones as a quite a great political commentator, is gone for good. I think this will financially ruin him. He has next to no money. And when I saw the figure uh, about, uh, two, about two weeks ago, I genuinely laughed out loud mm. um, because this is effectively it for him. All right movement in America, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I hope it is, but it's not realistically with a Trump resurgency. We don't know what's going to happen with another Trump election, which I think he may lose um, irrespective of whether uh, Joe Biden is the democratic candidate or not. um, It could still mean an, the alt right movement in America is firmly rooted into the Republican party and other political institutions. And it's not going away anytime soon, but this is, you know, one at least a goal to the people that are anti alt-right if you like and i don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on the alt-right it'll be everyone will make an episode on this and then they'll piss off and do their own thing because at the end of the day they only care about themselves and themselves only they don't some of them in my opinion don't genuinely believe these beliefs that they're touting um so yeah that's what i yes. think is going to happen I, I, I don't think it's going to have a significant
1: impact i think yeah. there will always be those sort of like conspiracy voices within any you know within all politics and i think what we might see and this is just me speculating we might see the emergence of some maybe newer figures um in that kind of space who take over from Alex Jones, um, because th- right now there's a gap in there's a gap. I'm thinking really purely in terms of economic terms, of, like, there's a gap in the market for it, i.e., there are loads of people out there who subscribe to this stuff, who love this stuff, who you know think that the political system doesn't apply to them, who are gagging for someone like um, Alex Jones, and right now there isn't, and so. there's
0: plenty i think there's plenty for them to go and watch um you know we we mentioned some of those names uh in episode two when we were talking about the alt-right i think there are so many names and i think trump is yeah but i'm talking about uh,
1: i'm talking about someone who you know is getting on some of the biggest shows in the world like your you know Mm. joe rogan podcast and stuff like that you know yeah i'm I'm not seeing too many if them I know. Funny enough, um, whether you call him all right or not, I necessarily. I was saying to uh, my flatmate the other day that I've seen a, a, a weird resurgence in Jordan Peterson as well recently. But uh, uh, that's a he's, whole.
0: He's an interesting figure, and and I disagree with everything he says. Um, but it would be interesting to dissect his book out of further episode hmm. because the way he, his dialectic, if you like, now we're getting academic, but his dialectic is actually really, really interesting. He's fucked up, he's stupid, his theories are wrong, but the way he phrases his argument and his methods of communications are quite interesting to analyse.
1: Yeah, but also I don't think his... Like, right now, in this current political climate, nobody's really having big conversations about things like critical feminist thought and stuff like that. And, you know, people are worried about things like mortgages and stuff. I'm not saying that that means that critical feminist law doesn't matter but the, it, I don't think right now whilst people are worried about things like whether they can heat their homes bring up a debate it's about the wage gap is really going to is really going to sit well with the general population.
0: <laughs> yeah right yeah exactly but, um, but it works in America so I don't yeah
1: yeah um, but let's let's move on to back to back to the UK to uh, uh, Just Stop Oil which we did reference last week but uh, didn't go into uh, in the last few weeks Protesters have been around London and suburban areas making demonstrations in protest of so called lack of policy and commitment to stopping production of energy. It came in the wake of reported coal contracts that Liz Trust was handing out in a bid to try and generate some energy security. Now, protesters did the following they throw tomato soup at Van Gogh's sunflowers painting in the National Gallery and then proceed to glue themselves to the wall to at traffic by gluing themselves to the road, scaling the Dartford Bridge crossing by abseiling, glued themselves to Abbey Road, meaning the Beatles were unable to hold their hands. Sorry, I had to get that joke in. Um, Spray-painted an Aston Martin garage. I'm sure you're sad about that, Car too, with your racing backgrounds. Uh, went to supermarkets and poured milk on the floors and sprayed paint at Metropolitan Police Building. This is amongst many other, other things that happened, but it's some of the ones I could pull out now. It's quite interesting because both the Conservatives and Labour have condemned the actions. Kissed armor came out on LBC this week, stating how these people are arrogant and stopping ambulances is always shameful. He it, it didn't really talk about the policy, but I suppose you know that, that it's not really applicable to him because it's going on now and he's not going to be in government tomorrow. Um, so, I guess the main difference is the kind of the policy. Um, what, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the protesters themselves, and but also the response to it?
0: Well, me and my girlfriend have had very, very long discussions about this. We had it yesterday on the as well. We we got quite loud, and we usually do get quite loud when we have these uh, when we have political discussions. Not because we hate each other, but we're just quite passionate. <laughs> so, darling, if you're listening, I'm really sorry if you disagree with me, but I don't think that these this form of protest is convincing in any way whatsoever. You mentioned that Keir Starmer wasn't necessarily talking about the policy. And I don't think that's just because he's not in government tomorrow. I think that's also because of the fact that these sort of actions, when the media and politicians and we now reflect upon it, we're solely focusing upon the nature of the actions. We're not we're not discussing, oh, you know, this is why they why they did this. They did this because, you know, Pakistan is sinking, etc. They're not doing that. We're not talking about the fact that Pakistan is sinking. We're not talking about the fact that Indonesia is shifting its capital because uh, the capital city is sinking. We're not talking about the fact that the Maldives are sinking. We're not talking about the global south. And we should be talking about that. And I feel like these actions take away from the actual discussion of what we need to do and what sort of policies we need to have in order to at least stop or to to an extent mitigate the effects of climate change. Yeah. And that's, that's my opinion. I also think that you can protest in more if we if we're gonna talk about methods of protest, I think no method of protest is necessarily quote unquote constructive. The protests are there to disrupt, you know it's there for civic disruption. But this is a different form and people take a different stance to this one thing that i do want to ask you james and it's a valid point that my girlfriend safira brought up is there was a chap um a couple months ago that spray-painted the mona lisa as a prank and he didn't get this level of um scrutiny as these just or Poyle protesters have what do you think about and why do you think that was the case
1: hmm was this the mona lisa in france I'm yes there,
0: yeah. what other mona lisa are we talking about i, I don't know i didn't
1: know there was a road copy somewhere i'm uh, two glasses in uh of wine, that is uh oh, i don't yeah i i don't know how to kind of i to be honest I, i'm not sure how to respond to that um I th-
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's the thing that it's, it's it's a tough one to come it's it's a tough one to come around to because when it comes to climate protest the media is very critical and politicians are suddenly very critical but no one's jumping upon this and well, no one's targeting the I, person that used it as a prank and we've seen a lot of really really shit Queen Mary I'll well.
1: give you a, a non I'll give you a non environmental based uh, campaign i'm going to talk about fathers for justice because fathers fathers for justice is a campaign against a fatherless society it's but uh, they go so more than that they they say about one in three children now live without a father they also um campaign against the cruel and degrading treatment of families by a government the fact that um the the rise in uh, domestic abuse against men in families um and lots of different stuff and i remember when a father's for justice representative came on to this morning britain and uh and started you know chatting and then went oh i'm going to show you my balls and then started undoing his uh, like zip, and then he had like some juggling balls in there and stuff. And I, I, but everybody laughed at that, and it wasn't I, I don't, it didn't have that sincerity to it that say you know thousands of people turning up to Trafalgar Square in 1987 against the poll tax had. And you know when you're stopping ambulances and when you're you you know stopping people from getting to hospital to see their you know dying mother father family relative it i i i can't i can't get behind that and i don't think many people can regard by the by with you know if you're able to get to work and if you're able to because i you know there's some bigger things in 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 life and that's you know if some, someone has to go to hospital for life-saving surgery if someone's just had a heart attack um, but actually, I'm actually going to go right against myself there as well. People do need to get to work because people are wanting and needing to have a living at the moment in one of the most economically stretched times at the moment. And I know that these protests are supposed to cause chaos, and if that means impacting the economy, you know that's you know arguably what the RNT are doing as well. And um, you know that that's obviously part of the conversation. But
0: um, no, but I think the RMT is different because. Strikes on the trains. You still have an, uh, another alternative to get to work. Also,
1: I guess it's I is ballot, balloted and mandated, there's a bit more kind of sort of accountability within those mechanisms um, within the internal sort of structure and mechanisms of it. But um, yeah, I, I can't get behind it to be honest. And no, the,
0: I, I agree with you. I can't because I genuinely cannot understand why throwing tomato soup on. The Van Gogh sunflowers painting is going has anything to do with the fact that there is excessive oil usage? There is we're, we're not doing enough in order to mitigate the impacts of climate change. I don't I don't see the link, and I think one thing I'm I'm not going to read out the text because I, I think it's an invasion of privacy. But uh, my girlfriend goes to university with the with with the people that did it, and they sent texts into the group chat, and they 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 outline the sense of they are doing this because the global south which who are going to be disproportionately impacted and going to be the first groups of people that are going to be impacted by climate change aren't able to protest and there is a there's a sense okay now i might be stretching here but there's a sense of white saviourness when it comes to why does a privileged individual feel the need to stand up for the global south? Why, 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 do, why, why do they not think that the global south is, able to, is unable to stand up for themselves? Why are they not out there outlining the policy impacts or the lack of policy impacts upon the global south? I feel like they should be doing that instead rather than saying we're doing this because they can't. And there's a sense of white saviourness to it. Do, do you see what I mean? Or am yeah, I stretching no, out? I, I do get what you mean. And it's, I mean, that,
1: that almost goes into the question of sort of international aid and stuff like that. And whether as you know, predominantly white based establishments should be sort of meddling with the affairs of the global south and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, that's a key thing. I think something like Just Up Oil would benefit so much from things like, you know, celebrity endorsement, the use of, you know, sort of public support and stuff like that in order to convey their message. I just, I also remembered uh, what End Private Jets UK did, which was throw faeces on Captain Tom's statue. And I just thought, what
0: a... I think that's just going to lose the public.
1: What an absolutely awful thing, you know, something that bounds the entire country together when we were all... all you know, stuck in lockdown and going through, you know, one of the biggest crises in, uh, in sort of social justice, mental health, physical health ever, to, to deface that. With shit.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's I think those sort of protests just largely lose the public. But then we can go back to the fact that, you know, do all protests largely lose the public? But I think it's there's a further discussion upon the type of protests and how to protest properly. I think all protests is there for the purpose of civic disruption. Whether it is beneficial to the overall cause Yes or no. And I, in, in my genuine opinion, throwing tomato soup on the Van Gogh sunflowers, or there was another Van Gogh painting in Germany that had mashed potatoes thrown upon it um, recently. I don't think it's convincing anyone. I think if you are outside J.P. Morgan every single day and you are protesting and you are trying to get an answer out of the J.P. Morgan Chase CEO person and you're constantly there haranguing them, that is going to bring the public along with you. Yeah. Because suddenly, he, got, you know, here's a white male stale person who is rich beyond belief. And he's one of the largest, he is the largest contributor to climate change at the moment in terms of finances. And why can't he answer these questions for us?
1: Absolutely. And um, and seeing as we're going to see a lot more protest in the coming months. I think this is going to be so on the on the agenda and so on the table. We're going to be talking about it a lot more on the podcast, probably. Um, we're going to see what process works and what doesn't, and yeah. uh, and what what action works and uh, and I don't know. I just I don't think that, like you said, that Gestapo oil are sort of doing the right things and really sort of getting the mass public appeal that they probably need. Because I do and, think.
0: It's weird because I think almost everyone would agree with the fact that climate change needs to mm. we need better climate change policies. I think all, nearly everyone because this this impacts every single person in the world. You know, this is not this isn't a set financial issue impacting obviously impacts certain people disproportionately more i.e. the global south, but I think everyone agrees that it's going to impact everyone.
1: I oh, no, I can't have another 40 degree summer that's ridiculous. Oh, I, know, God.
0: I know I know that's
1: in- incredibly politically naive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that's a good that's a good time to end because <laughs> um, you know we, we've talked a lot about the different issues this week and I think they're going to, to carry on and we'll have to see how they those sort of issues manifest themselves under a uh, Rishi Sunak uh, government but I think all that there is to say with this episode is uh, my name's James Tabor and my name's Kartik Sawney and thank you very much for listening to Politics on Draft and we'll see you again next week bye 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 bye